Welcome to Wuffles Press Box Podcast, where we discuss the latest topics in the professional world of sports. Enjoy our exclusive interviews with athletes, coaches, insiders, and fans. And now, here's your host, Gary Wuffle. When it comes to the Major League Baseball draft, there are a few people more qualified to talk about it than my guest today, Mr. Dan Zielinski. Dan is a draft geek. He is the editor of the Baseball Prospect Journal. He has interviewed or done stories on countless draft prospects uh, that'll be coming up on Sunday. The draft is coming up on Sunday. Dan, welcome. Thanks, Gary. Always good to talk with you. Always enjoy doing this. Man, your nose just hit me in the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Pinocchio. (laughs) But... uh, yeah, you know, Dan, we we got lots lots to talk about with the uh, draft coming up on Sunday. But first of all, I want to talk to you about your busy schedule. I, I know you love to play golf, but uh, you haven't been afforded that opportunity. You went to the College World Series in Omaha, and you were out there and did some great stories on that. And for someone who's never been out there like me, what would you recommend if, if they decided to go to the College World Series? It's just a great event in general. The amount of people that flock to Omaha from all these different schools is impressive. And they've got all these bars and restaurants, entertainment around there. I can't think of the name of the restaurant, but you probably saw it on Twitter that had the Jell-O shot challenge going on where they're selling tens of thousands of Jell-O shots and things like that. So it's really a party for 10, 12 days there in Omaha and stadium's beautiful weather is usually always pretty good so it's just it's a great event top to bottom and this year especially with the amount of talent there was there a lot of the top guys in this year's draft class and next year's draft class were all competing in it so it was great to see a lot of excitement and it's always a good good, good time in Omaha now the uh, sixty-four thousand dollar question: How many Joel shots did you have? I didn't have any. I was yeah. I was I was working. I was over at the stadium, <laughs> but I was following it on Twitter. Yeah, you know, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, isn't Omaha basically the size of Milwaukee? I mean, pretty much uh, in that ballpark. Yeah, it has a similar kind of feel, minus the lake from Milwaukee, but otherwise, yeah, it kind of has that similar feel. You got Creighton down there, and then a bunch of big companies too so yeah similar feel how many uh major league scouts and gms attend this did did you see you know quite a few that's actually a good question and recently with the mlb draft combine sometimes it had been overlapping and that was kind of the case here with college world series the draft combine was overlapping with the college world series so a lot of The big guys were down in Arizona at the Diamondback Stadium taking in those few days of the draft combine. So usually in the past it was more, but there's still a presence there, obviously, too. Yeah, did you see uh, anybody from the uh, Milwaukee Brewers contingent out there? I did not, no. But I know they have some interesting guys, and uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday. You know, I I watched several games, and uh, as you well know, this was a uh, great year for TV ratings for college baseball. I mean, it definitely took a nice uh, bump, and I-, I thought the talent level was outstanding. I mean, it-, it seemed like every hitter that came to the plate 
was just swinging away. I mean, it, you know, they were ultra aggressive and it was fun to watch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, first the ratings aspect of it. I mean, Tony Vitello, the head coach at Tennessee, he even said it too. college baseball is a quickly growing sport. And I think the interest in it is quickly growing in the Midwest. It's maybe not as big as it is down South where they have 10,000 seat ballparks doing a hundred million dollar renovations, things like that. But college baseball is growing and with the talent that was there i mean you had dylan cruz the outfielder from lsu who's maybe the best prospect he's my best prospect in this year's draft class paul skeens the right-hander from lsu if cruz isn't your number one skeens is probably your number one prospect Wyatt lang for the outfielder from florida Braden taylor third baseman from TCU, Chase Dolander from Tennessee, like the list goes on and on, Mm -hmm. the amount of talent. And that's just this year's draft class. I mean, you had the number one guy in next year's class there, as well as some other guys. And yeah, I there has never been a college world series with this much talent in it. Is that right? Is that what most people are saying out there? That's yeah, that's what coaches, talent evaluators, fans were all saying out there that they've never seen this much talent at the college world series. Yeah. You know, it's funny, uh, but oh, two months ago, I was down in Austin, Texas and, uh, had a chance to take in a university of Texas game. And no, I didn't see Roger Clemens there, but uh, <laughs> there, there were quite a few people there and it was just a fun atmosphere. I mean, it was, it was really entertaining and I feel sorry for universities that don't have baseball and, uh, I don't want to bring up the uh, <clears throat> University of Wisconsin, but not happening. You know, it, it, it's it's just really crazy that Wisconsin doesn't have baseball. You know, I mean, it's just <laughs> to me unfathomable. But you know, that's the way it is. And you know, hopefully, going forward, they, they can rectify the problem in some manner because there's a lot of good baseball players in Wisconsin here that would love to go to the University of Wisconsin instead of going out of state. Anyways, that, that's my little rant for the show. Um, <laughs> but what I wanted to do, though, uh, Dan, is break down these guys a little bit. You know, Dylan Cruz, I mean, we were talking about Clemens. Some people are thinking he's the second coming of Clemens. I mean, he's he's that good. What's your take on him? I mean, he put up some gaudy numbers this year. Do you see any comps with him? Well, there's Dylan Cruz and there's the right-hander Paul Skeens, I guess. I, I meant Skeens, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah obviously, yeah. <laughs> First talking about Paul Skeens, I mean, 6'6", 235-pound right-hander. I mean, just even standing next to him on the side of the field or just watching him warm up, he's an intimidating presence when it comes to a size factor. And that's not even talking about his elite fastball slider combination, guy who regularly throws the ball in triple digits and really just overwhelmed college hitters this year. There was high expectations for Skeens coming into the year. He transferred in from Air Force, and people expected him to be good. People expected him to be a first-round pick this year, but no one expected him to be this good. But he was able to elevate himself into the top pitching prospect in this year's class and in that mix to go 1-1. And a lot of people believe Paul Skeens is the best pitching prospect in the last 10 or so years, dating back to uh, Steven Strasburg or some of those guys. So lots of like with him, ace potential, someone who could even pitch out of a major league bullpen this year. I still think he needs to refine that change up a little bit, but he has all the ingredients to be a potential frontline starter someday. 
Yeah. Do you see any similarities? Big pitcher, power pitcher, durable too. I mean, so is, he, far. is he a Ryan, so, Randy Johnson type? I mean, Johnson was, you know, obviously very left handed. Yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah. Out of the Roger Clements, Randy Johnson, he's probably more of a Clements. Uh huh. He's easy delivery. Has no issues, no really no effort in his delivery, getting it up there in triple digits. So, I mean, I think that's a comparable comp. I'm not always big on the comps personally, but he's definitely someone like that. He's just that big body and naturally throws without a lot of effort and can get high velocity. Yeah, I I was really impressed with Cruz. I mean, just that kid has the package, at least, you know, from my perspective. I mean – he, he plays aggressively. I mean, he, he's not one of these passive players. I mean, when he's on the base pass, he'll, he'll run hard and, you know, try to stretch the single into a double, et cetera, et cetera. But what's your take on him? Yeah, to me, he's the best player in this draft class. I know Paul Skeens has kind of moved up on some teams and some scouts board. But I think Cruz, his longevity, his five-tool package i think this year he did prove that he can handle center field long term as well so i just think there's a lot to like about him i think he's probably the safest player in this year's draft class he's a guy coming out of the florida high school ranks he was a potential first round pick in 2020 decided to pull his name out of the draft to go to lsu and all he's done is perform at an almost an elite level really in all three years in the sec which is the most difficult conference, high-end arms night after night mm-hmm. in that conference. Hit tool's really good. It's an above-average hit tool, able to hit for pretty much above-average power, too. Makes it really effortless at the plate with his swing and defensively. There's really no flaws with him there either. So, yeah, I like Dylan Cruz a lot. I like his all-around game. I like his makeup a lot, too. And to me, I think even with his kind of signing bonus demands that he's had here leading up to the draft. If I'm the Pirates, I'm still taking him 1-1. <laughs> the Pirates are finally going to break the bank, huh? <laughs> uh, it doesn't sound like it, but it sounds like they might go opposite a Dylan Cruz and either go maybe a Skeens or a Wyatt Langford or the high school outfielder Max Clark from Indiana just because slot value is roughly about $9.7 million, which is – just a little bit over a million more than the highest ever signing bonus handed out, which was to Spencer Torkelson in 2020 by the Tigers. And Cruz supposedly, from what I've heard, wants all 9.7 million of that. So, and who's who's repping him? Scott Boris already or what? Correct. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. Makes all the sense in the world. So we'll see if he gets the part of me thinks it's a negotiating tactic because he's not going to get that from any other team. So we'll see come draft night. And if anything, he falls a pick or two and still is getting paid a hefty price tag. So in your humble opinion, you would take one of those two guys first or second. Yeah, there's no questions. I would take Dylan Cruz 1-1. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, a couple other guys. Could you see any scenarios where uh, Langford, for instance, goes number one or uh, anybody else? Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the Pirates right now are exploring kind of all options, and it sounds like they're not willing to pay that full signing bonus of 9.7 million. So I think to me, if you're going to go kind of under slot, sure. You can save maybe $700,000 on a Paul Skeens, but if you want to go under slot to me, you take Wyatt Langford 
the center fielder from Florida, you're mm-hmm. going to get at least a million dollar savings probably in that regard. And there's some scouts who really like Langford and think he's just as good, if not even better than Dylan Cruz. Is that right? Wyatt, yeah. yeah. Wyatt Langford just doesn't have the track record necessarily of a Dylan Cruz who's performed at a high level since he was in high school playing up a grade in high school and performing. And then three years in the SEC where Wyatt Langford has really been just this year and last year, didn't really play his freshman year at Florida. But similar tool-wise, Wyatt Langford probably hits for a little bit more power, probably is better suited in right field long-term, but still a five-tool potential player and a Wyatt Langford and had a really good season, looked really good in the College World Series Big guy at 6'1", 225, so a lot to like there. And then Max Clark, too, the outfielder from the Indiana High School prep ranks. He's a guy that is been on kind of scouts radar since he was an underclassman. He's more, though, of a typical kind of leadoff type hitter, someone who can hit for some power, but more has a hit over power tool. Left-handed hitter, 6'1", 190, really good defensively above average to elite running ability with his speed. Definitely going to play quality on the verge of maybe a gold glove defense, but Mm. more of that top of the order hitter than a middle of the order bat like a Langford or Cruz. So we'll see. Like I said, I would go Langford if you're going to go under slot. I still think you're getting that guy who could move through a farm system quickly, save you some money, has similar tools, like I said, to a Dylan Cruz while also saving some money from Dylan Cruz. You know, one thing I don't really like about the Major League Baseball draft is there's very little trading at the top. I mean, it's like everybody seems content to stay in their slot. You know, there you is. go to the NBA and it's like, hey, we'll trade Doncic. We'll take Trey Young. You know, if you're in football, you, you you make trades at the top and throughout the first round all the time. But any idea why baseball teams are so reluctant to you know, move up and down and, and make blockbuster deals. And... Well, that was one thing highly debated during this last CBA because there has never been draft pick trading and some people want to add draft pick trading. And I think from a fan perspective, that would add a lot of intrigue. I mean, technically uh, you can't trade your pick. You cannot trade draft picks. No, in the major oh, league baseball I, I, draft. I always use an so, that. To me, it would add a lot of intrigue. It would be a very risky play simply for the fact that this is your one chance to add a lot of talent, especially if you're a small market team. And with the way baseball is, there's a lot of a lot of risk when it comes to the draft compared to some of the other sports. But I think it would be good for baseball to maybe explore that avenue. They've continued to try to invest more in the draft and make it more of a spectacle like some of these other sports by moving it to all-star weekend, by having the draft combine televised, by having the draft on MLB network and ESPN, things like that. So Mm -hmm. that would only add to the kind of fanfare of it all. So we'll see down the line. It would, it would make for a fun event, but I can see kind of both sides of it. Yeah. Is there anybody in that first round that put on your uh, scouting hat and say, you know what? major league teams are really missing out on this guy that he's really undervalued. He he should be maybe a top five, top six player. Anybody that you see that could be that big time sleeper uh, that's projected as a first round pick yet. Yeah. I think one name that really stands out to me and someone I 
know the Brewers have interest in. It could be on the board when the Brewers pick is a Nolan Shawnowell, the first baseman outfielder from Florida Atlantic. This season, he was one of the best hitters in college baseball. Hit 447 with 18 doubles, four triples, 19 home runs, 64 RBIs. Also had 14 stolen bases and hmm. in 289 plate appearances, had 71 walks to 14 strikeouts. And putting the numbers aside, I guess, just looking at the skill set in general, 6'3, 195 pound left handed hitter who has exceptional plate discipline, can hit for average and power, drives the ball to all fields, does help, has some athleticism, and just consistently is able to square up that baseball work counts and really is an underrated hitter mostly because he competed at the mid-major level but is a guy I think has no problem having success in pro ball he was a high school corner outfielder coming into Florida Atlantic and pretty much due to a team need had to play first his first couple years there in the program the expectation was when I spoke with him in the offseason that he was going to move to the outfield. And then I want to say there was an injury to their first baseman. He had to go back and play first base most of the year. But he's someone who wants to play a corner outfield spot. Evaluating him, I think he can handle a corner outfield spot. And I think his hit tool is obviously going to play. So he's someone that is probably going to go either in the teens or 20s. But I think could end up being one of the best hitters out of this year's draft class. Interesting. You know, it seems like, well, we alluded to this earlier in the uh, podcast, Wisconsin obviously has some very talented high school baseball players, and and that's been kind of borne out. I mean, Gavin Lux was a high pick. Kalenic was a high pick. You know, they they haven't reached stardom by any means means at the major league level, but Kalenic is coming around. I, I think he's got a chance to be great. And Lux has flashed it last year that uh, he could be a big-time player. So are there any Wisconsin kids uh, in this year's draft that maybe could go in the top three rounds, for instance? Yeah, I think we first have to just look at the college guys, and one of those guys is George Class and right-handed pitcher playing at Minnesota right now went to Port Washington High School. And if you just look at his career stats at Minnesota, they're not going to impress you. He's had Tommy John and came back from that this year after sitting out last year. But from an arm and talent perspective, he's a guy that's going to kind of go in that mix of being at maybe a top three, for sure top five round guy. Uh-huh. And elite fastball someone who touches triple digits curveball slider pretty good pitches too his biggest issue has been just control and command walking too many guys so if a team falls in love with him he's a guy who can go early in this year's class and then just looking at the high school guys here quickly dylan Kustad, right-handed pitcher from waterford high school he was a gatorade wisconsin player of the year this spring and really like him from a pitching standpoint and He's probably the best pitching prospect out of the state of Wisconsin in at least a decade. And mm. talking to some people, maybe ever. 6'1", 205. He's got good size, yeah. Good size. Fastball sits mid-90s, touches 97 with natural movement on it. Commands it really well, too. And then just is able to miss bats with his secondary stuff. His 12-6 curveball generates a lot of swings and misses and plays really well off his fastball, also mixes in 
a sinker too and just athletic moves well clean delivery so a lot to like there he is an arkansas commit so that's going to come into play especially with him being like a third round to maybe fifth round type of guy so we'll see if he ends up signing but he has a chance to be one of the highest picked pitchers in wisconsin history i can't remember off the top of my head but the state hasn't produced a top five pick since like 2002 from a pitching standpoint uh-huh. round pick so he's someone to watch and then cal fisher too shortstop from deerfield wisconsin he's a florida state commit so teams are going to have to contend with that but a little bit smaller guy, six foot, 190, right-handed hitter, kind of a contact-oriented approach this year. Played shortstop in high school, probably going to have to move to second base, but athletic, able to hit the ball, has some power potential too. So there's some skills there that a team can work with and have success with. He's kind of in that mix too. We'll see if either Qstad or Fisher sign. I would probably lean towards them going to school, but you never know when it comes to the draft and if one team falls in love with a specific player. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You, you said uh, two small towns there. One's Waterford, which is relatively small, uh, about 20 miles west of Racine. And then you're talking about Deerfield, another tiny town basically up in uh, yep. the Madison area. And um, it, It's amazing how players can emerge from, from small towns, you know, it's it's just really interesting well and there there's always been talent in wisconsin but the rise of these indoor facilities these travel teams good point it's really really allowed these guys to get out play across the country get in front of talent evaluators especially during the summer it allows talent evaluators they're not going during the summer or in the spring they do go see the top guys but you're best off getting seen at some of these showcase events because talent evaluators go there, scouts go there because they're able to see a lot of guys at once. So with the rise of these indoor facilities, it's allowed these high school players to get more looks and more eyes on them, which has ultimately led to Gavin Lux's, Jared Kellenick's, Dylan Kustad, Fisher, and this year's draft. So the state's definitely producing more talent. We got some really good guys coming in these next couple of years. So it's going to be fun to watch them as well. Yeah, I I think you made a good point. It's a copycat league. I mean, just like football is, just like basketball is. And all of a sudden, you know, when you see Kalenic and uh, Lux come out, I I think scouts are saying, wow, Wisconsin might have something going on here. And I really think it helps, you know, players currently playing in the state that they probably are getting more looks now than if those two guys weren't in the major leagues. Yeah, and we can even look at Owen Miller, who's having success for the Brewers this year. His brother Noah was a quality prospect a few years back. So, I mean, it seems like every year we are talking about a guy or two out of Wisconsin who's in that mix to get drafted in the early rounds, if not going to a Power 5 major program and then in three years having a chance to get drafted again. There hasn't been a lot to say about the Milwaukee Brewers drafting <laughs> in, in, in recent years. And under the uh, Stearns regime, I mean, what? I mean, it was pretty dry, right? I mean, they didn't really hit on a lot of their picks. No, they haven't. And I actually wrote an article, I think, last week about this and just taking a look back at their last 10 years when it comes to the draft. 
the Brewers have definitely had a demographic they've really steered towards when it comes to the draft. It's it's no secret they prefer up the middle college performers, and that tends to be guys with high floors, low ceilings, and just looking at their draft picks, even if it was David Stearns or Doug Melvin, the Brewers have not had success. I mean, we can go back to 2014 when they took Cody Medeiros, the left-handed pitcher, high school kid out of Hawaii, didn't even make it to the major leagues with the Brewers. I don't think he he didn't even make it to the major leagues at all. He ended up going to the White Sox and Angels. Trent Clark was good, didn't pitch or play for the Brewers. Corey Ray, I interviewed him actually recently for my website and for my podcast, and he's a guy who was the fifth overall pick coming out of Louisville in 2016 and was considered maybe a five-tool guy, someone who would fly through a minor league system, be able to hit and just play quality center field. He battled injuries, struck out a ton in the minor leagues, made one appearance during the COVID season, or in 2021, I should say, and that was his only taste of the major leagues. Now he's a minor league bench coach for the Chicago Cubs. Is that where he's at? That was one. Yeah. 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 No kidding. He wanted to retire a couple of years back. Family, friends, people close to him urged him to continue playing, made it to the majors in 21 and then struggled last year and decided to kind of call it quits um, early on in the off season. Did have some interest playing later on in the offseason, but he had kind of made up his mind at that point. And yeah, he's with uh, their single A team as the bench coach. And with the way the Brewers offense has struggled lately, one popular name fans have wanted them to call up is Keston Hira because he's mm-hmm. doing well at AAA, but he's been a bust too. I mean, he was this guy that I remember talking to one scout that said, if he just sticks with his approach as being a guy who can just hit a lot of doubles, he's going to have a lot of success, but he's going to have to make that decision if he wants to be high average doubles machine or a guy that hits for power and a low average. And for whatever reason, after he got called up and had some success early on in that first season, uh, he decided to become, he wanted to become a home run hitter and that's led to a ton of strikeouts. I mean, he's, in his major league career had 380 strikeouts in 284 games. That's more than a strikeout a game. So like not to keep going on, because we could talk about every year when it comes to the Brewers and their draft history, but they have not had success drafting in the first round. I will say I do like some of the guys they have coming up. I think Bryce Terrain, Garrett Mitchell, they kind of are what they are. They're contributors on a winning team. They're fringe starters who can maybe have some success, but Looking at the 2021 draft, Sal Freelich, second best prospect in the system. He's an outfielder out of Boston College. He's someone that profiles as a leadoff hitter type guy, hitting for average, stealing bases, getting on base. I really like him. Brewers, frankly, should have called him up by now, but haven't. Tyler Black is having a phenomenal year at double a he's a second baseman on a right state in that same draft. He was the 33rd overall pick by the Brewers that year when they had a comp a pick. And he's stolen twenty or stolen forty bases in sixty-one games. And then last year they took Eric Brown Jr., who I'm high on, and I think could be their starting shortstop down the line. But like I always like to say, time will tell when it comes to these draft prospects. Yeah, I mean, to me, a, a GM is valued on not only the trades he makes, but I believe yeah. in a small market city like Milwaukee. 
it's just so imperative to hit hit on draft picks, you, you know, and bring them up through your farm system. And Spurs didn't do that. Can you imagine if he would have just got two or three guys that that would have hit on it, and what a difference they would have made you know, in the past two, three years? I mean, Bruce had a pretty decent team, but obviously lacking in hitting. Hey, um, going going back to the draft a little bit, the Brewers have the 18th pick, and you have them down for Tommy Troy, the shortstop from Stanford. And uh, as you noted in your mock draft, he kind of fits the uh, mold for uh, a Brewer yeah. pick. Do you like him, number one? And number two, if they didn't go after him, who would maybe be two or three other guys that they would seriously consider with that pick? I like Tommy Troy a lot. I think he's a prototypical Brewers pick, someone who can play up the middle, can play multiple positions. At Stanford, he played second base, shortstop, third base, left field, and right field. Brewers really value that versatility, for one. They like guys up the middle. They like guys who get on base, hit for average. And that's Tommy Troy. He's not going to be a flashy guy. He's 5'10", 197 pounds, right-handed hitter. Makes consistent hard contact, does have some pop in that bat, but more known for being able to get on base, had that bat-to-ball skills that really stand out, doesn't strike out a ton, and uses all fields. So I do like him as a player, fits the Brewers' profile. One guy, if they don't go that way, and we'll see if he's on the board for them, but I know the Brewers have interest in him, is a Matt Shaw. He's a shortstop from Maryland. Mm. The Brewers, too, just kind of before I even start rattling off more names, they've gone college heavy in the first round, really in drafts recently. Yeah. Last last time they took a high school kid in the first round was Bryce Terang in 2018. They haven't taken a pitcher in the first round since a year after that when it was Ethan Small. So the Brewers really have prioritized position players here in the first round and college position players. And Matt Shaw could be a great option for them too if he's on the board. Definitely getting a lot of looks throughout the teens. Maybe could find his way in the top 10, back half of the top 10, but we'll see. But he was one of the better college hitters this year at Maryland. Another guy who has a lot of versatility, played second, short, third, and left at Maryland throughout his three years there. I don't want to say unlike Tommy Troy, because Tommy Troy can hit for some power. Matt Shaw definitely hits for more power. He does have the ability to steal double-digit bases, too, and just moves well at shortstop. If it's me, I would send him out as a shortstop. If he can handle it long-term, great. And if the Brewers, for whatever reason, have a shortstop blocking him down the line, he can play third base. He could play second base. So I like Matt Shaw, too. I talked about Nolan Shawnowell, the first baseman outfielder from FAU. I think that would be a terrific pick. That's a little bit out of their comfort zone. Someone they haven't, a demographic they haven't touched really in the draft, especially early on as a first baseman. Shawnowell really isn't the typical first baseman that we see because of his athleticism and, like I said, ability to play an outfield spot. And one guy I, I think the Brewers really need to consider is Yohandi Morales, third baseman from Miami. Again, he's not an up-the-middle guy, but their options could be limited with where they're picking if Tommy Troy and Matt Shaw, a Jacob Wilson are off the board at that point. But Yohandi Morales is a big-time hitter in college baseball, 6'4", 218, and 
profiles as someone who could be a middle of the order bat hit for a lot of power hit for some average too this year. He did a really nice job overall hitting 405 with 18 home runs and can drive the ball to all fields. But one concern, one kind of nitpick with him is some swing and miss. He's improved on that at Miami. I'd still like to see him improve on it a little more, be a little selective. He's an aggressive hitter, but maybe cut down on some of that chasing. And defensively, definitely can handle third base, can be a quality defensive third baseman there too. So, Johanny Morales, Sean Owell, not typical Brewer first-round picks, but I think could offer a lot of value if they go a different direction than, say, a Tommy Troy or Matt Shaw or Jacob Wilson at number 18. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to uh, go back a little bit uh, talking about some of the Brewers' young players, young prospects. Obviously, they have Terang and Garrett Mitchell already on the roster, two pretty promising young guys, although Terang, uh, the jury's still out on him. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he's struggling right now, and, you know, who knows what's going to happen, you know, which is true for all these young guys. But yeah, uh, the, the guy everybody's talking about is uh, Jackson Churio. Are you a big fan? Are, are you on the bandwagon? I mean, we've seen a lot of really highly touted players, especially in baseball, just not cut it. And the other day I looked at the stats and they, they, they weren't that, you know, overly impressive. Yeah. I mean, for a Brewers fan, I think you have to be excited. This is one of the best prospects this farm system has ever produced, at least on Correct. paper. They've yeah. never, it's been a long time since they had a top 10 prospect in major league baseball his numbers haven't been great at biloxi at double a biloxi needs to cut back a little bit on a swing and miss but i think from a pure talent standpoint especially for his age and especially with him being only 19 years old already at double a i think says something about mm-hmm. who he is as a player he's going to play premium defense his arm strength could be a little bit better but has the elite speed and then from a hitting standpoint, can really hit for a lot of power. Brewers would like to see him hit for more average. I think that could come as he matures a little bit more as a hitter and definitely going to be someone who can steal a lot of bases too. So I really, I'm excited about Jackson Chirillo. There's obviously risk like there is with any player, but I mm-hmm. think he's a guy that could be a franchise player for the Brewers. And like you were kind of hinting at earlier when you said, David Stearns and the front office, maybe in general, haven't hit on the draft and how important that is for a small market team like the Brewers. They've got to be able to develop these guys exactly. and bring up franchise players. So for the Brewers, you got to hope Jackson Chirillo is the real deal because he's going to be that next wave of players once they get through this upcoming rebuild to potentially be that kind of face for what they hope to be a championship level team. Down the yeah, line. exactly. You know, I mean, in, in any sport, football, basketball, baseball, yeah. the the draft is so wacky. I mean, there, there's <laughs> no no givens, no sure things. I mean, no, you're, you're probably too young to remember this name, but uh, there was a player named Pete Incovilia. Do you remember him by any chance, or ever heard of him? No, he he was the second coming of Babe Ruth. Okay, and okay. everybody was raving about a big, big, strong power hitter. The legend was that he hit a ball so hard one time it went it created a hole in the outfield wall. He hit it that <laughs> you know, but I mean this guy was touted, like I said, as the second coming of Babe Ruth. And then as we all found out once he got to the major leagues, uh 
he wasn't Babe Ruth. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, and, and there's been countless examples of that, especially in Major League Baseball. It's it's just a tough draft to really, you know, get your hands around and say that guy's going to be a surefire superstar. And just because they have success at double A, triple A, doesn't mean that's going to translate exactly. to the major leagues. And we see a lot of these guys just dominate the minor leagues, fly through a system. They get to the major leagues and they look completely lost at the plate. So that's why it's so important to accumulate a bunch of talent, continue to restock that farm system and have a good player development system because teams like the Brewers, you you got to build through the farm system. When you have a cheap owner who doesn't want to sign free agents, you got to be able to draft and develop well. Hey, let's let's uh well before we go on to the Brewers, I want to get your thoughts on them as well. How long do you think it'll take before Churio is brought up? They they got to be tempted. Like you said, he's a very very talented player, but you don't want to rush him at the same point. But what what's your gut feeling as to when they could, you know, bring him to Milwaukee? Yeah, I don't see him bringing him up this year. I just don't see them starting his service clock. I think next year at some point during the year is a realistic time frame. Mm-hmm. Does he make it out of? spring training next year if i had a guess probably not i mean again they have sal free like at triple a and he's a guy who's had success at every level he's been and they still haven't called him up and it's a team that's desperate for some offensive firepower and they haven't called him up yet so is that the upfield of the future trio and and like probably i mean yelich is under team control for a while so I'd even put him in there over Mitchell, but I guess you could put also. Yeah, you Yelich know what, Dan? Though, and I, I, I know what you're saying. I, I would trade Yelich now and just say, hey, you know what? Try to get as much as you can for him, and say it's it, let's rebuild with those three guys, and you know, see what we can go from there. But you're not the first person to tell me that, so <laughs> and say that. So <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of people wanting Yelich traded last year. <laughs> he, he's having a good year. I he mean, is, he's having a very if he can hit 280, he doesn't need a hit for a ton of power, but if he can be a doubles machine, be a kind of 2020 guy and hit 280, a lot of value for his contract at $25 million only in today's baseball where guys are commanding closer to $35, $40 million a year. Mm-hmm. That's a reasonable contract if he's kind of that potential all-star every year. So it's just a matter of does Mark Antonazzi want to trade his guy? And – I don't know if he does or would be willing to do that. So, but I I get what you're saying and I'm not crazy about Mitchell, but again, if he's your third outfield with Freelick trio, that's a great. Yeah. I I mean, you know, that, that to me would be a real nice solid foundation going forward. Definitely. Um, Hey, you know, touching on uh, Yelich, um, have you noticed like I have the confidence he seems to have again? It seems like last year, year before, he went up to the plate and he seemed lost, you know? Now when he's at the plate, it looks like he's just a real confident guy like he was, you know, several years ago. Yeah, and I think also probably some of it has to do with his health. I think he's probably healthy now again. But I think after signing that contract, having the injury, not performing, that had to take a toll on him, especially when you're supposed to be kind of the face of this small market team you're expected to produce. And when, when the offense is not performing up to its potential or 
really not performing the last couple of years and you're the highest paid guy in that lineup. I had to yeah. take a toll on him, but I don't want to say he's back. Like he's not, he's never going to be the MVP type of player. He was the baseballs were juiced back then to begin with. He, I mean, crushed the ball too. Like he was the best player in the game at that point. But if he can be an all-star type of guy, that's, there's a lot of value there. And I think his confidence is back and the brewers, you need that. So we'll see what he does in the second half. Yelich will always have a special place in my heart, Dan. Several years ago, I was at a Brewers game, and uh, my brother had, had has these awesome tickets. They're front, first row, just by the on-deck circle, the visitor's okay. on-deck circle, okay? Okay. And as a journalist, I have never, ever talked to a player during a game, ever. I mean, it's it's, you know, sacrilegious to do it. For whatever reason, I started talking to the guy on the on-deck circle, <laughs> and we got engaged in a conversation. And I said to him, I said, man, you're having a really nice season. He goes, oh, thank you. And I said, you know what? The Brewers could use a guy like you. And I started smiling. I said, what is your contract up, by the way? I said, you know, you should really consider Milwaukee, right? This is a true story. And again, he just started smiling. It was Yelich. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, little, little did I believe that he would ever yeah, <laughs> end up in funny. Milwaukee, but it was just, it was one of those surreal, you know, moments and it, it was pretty funny. A couple quick questions before we wrap it up. If you're the GM of the Brewers, you would have a chance to make all the calls. Would you be buyers or sellers at the deadline? Good question. To yeah, me, they got to win their division, right? I mean, they're not going to get in as a wild card. No, they have to win the division. Yeah. It's the second worst division in baseball. This doesn't really answer your question, but I'm standing pat. I don't think you really make any moves until the offseason, but I think once the offseason comes, that's when you turn into sellers. The pro- the reason I say that is because your biggest assets and Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Willie Adamas, Willie Adamas hasn't performed, Corbin Burns hasn't performed, and Woodruff is hurt. So – you're not going to get a max value back for any of those guys. I don't see them trading Devin Williams and they're not trading Christian Yelich. So besides that, you really don't have anything to trade to get assets back. And this team isn't going to win a world series this year, even with adding some pieces. So I don't see giving away Mm -hmm. potential future players for a short term run here when there's no guarantee you're even going to make the playoffs. And the, there's a very slim chance you win a World Series. So I would stand pat and then start looking at trading some of those guys in the offseason. Yeah. You know, it, 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 to me, it's going to be a tough call. I, I would let, you know, if they're in first place at that point, I'm going for it and, and say, hey, we're going to make one run at it and see what we can do. If it, it doesn't work out, then let the total rebuild begin, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, no, you know, again, you got to see, but in the big picture, even if they made the playoffs, I mean, their chances of doing anything are so minuscule, you know? Yeah. When you see all these other clubs that are just loaded up, the Braves, the Dodgers, et cetera, you know? So you got to think of that too, you know? Yeah. You, you, you make the playoffs, but who knows? Hey, Final question of the day for you and, and uh, let you run. I appreciate your time. 
What happens with Craig Council? Uh, to, to me, it's by far the most pressing question on, on the Brewers' hands. I mean, you know, everybody's speculating what he's going to do after this season. If, 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 if I was him, Dan, or if I was the Brewers' management ownership, I'd say, Craig, what do you want? <laughs> and I'd give that guy. I don't believe in long-term contracts, but I think with him, I would. I totally agree with you, and I really don't understand why Brewers fans don't realize what kind of manager they have if it's simply for the fact that they haven't won a World Series, but he got you to four straight postseason appearances. When's the last time a manager did that for the exactly. Brewers? I mean, exactly. he's been the most successful manager in Brewers history, and he's done more with less. This team, they should have gone for it after they lost and frankly blew that National League championship series against the Dodgers in mm-hmm. 2018. They should have gone for it that next year and really pushed their chips all into one basket and yes. try to win a World Series, but then they choked in the wild card against the Nationals, and it's kind of been a downfall ever since that season. And I have to imagine, I'm pretty sure – based on reading some articles early on this year that the Brewers have approached Craig Council about an extension. He's obviously on his expiring deal, and he seems content to ride it out into the offseason and then go from there. To me, I think he's done after this year. I think he's going to go watch his two sons play college baseball. He His one son is going to be a junior, I believe, mm-hmm. at Minnesota, and then his other son just graduated from Whitefish Bay and is going to be a freshman at Michigan. I think he does that. He gets a front office job with the Brewers, and he kind of moves on. I don't think he wants to be part of a rebuild. I don't blame him. I don't think he should be part of a rebuild. I think the Brewers Mm -hmm. have kind of screwed up these last couple years with their unwillingness to shell out some money and kind of strike while the iron's hot and build – this team up when they were so close. So to me, I think Craig Council moves on. I don't think there is one report out there um, maybe a month ago that David Stearns gets a Mets job. If that happens, he might pursue Craig Council as his manager. I don't see him leaving. I can't Wednesday see him Council leaving. No, I, I really managing mean. a different team. I think he's just going to step away. Like I said, he'll take a front office role as an advisor or whatever and kind of move on. Would he maybe manage the team in the future? I don't know about that, but yeah, I I don't see him being the manager next year and would be shocked, frankly, if he is. I mean, if you look at his everyday lineup for the last four or five years, Bad. How, many, how many great players has he had a chance to manage? Like you could put maybe uh, council, you could put Yelich maybe in that group, right? But beyond Yelich, what great yeah, that- have they had? That's the only one. I mean, yeah. Lorenzo Kane had one good year. Like there's guys who've had one good year for this right. team, but right. I I still think, and I'd have to look up his contract at this point, but it wasn't 200 million. Uh, they should have gone after Freddie Freeman a couple of years back when he was a free agent after um, the Braves didn't resign him and he was sitting out there. I really thought he would be a great fit in that lineup. He's a great hitter. One of the best hitters in baseball brewers mark antonasio doesn't want to open the pocketbook he he enjoys having that hundred million dollar whatever it is payroll and he doesn't really want to go beyond that and they keep talking about having a chance every year to win it all but i mean when you're not putting talent 
on the major league roster, yeah. you're not going to have a chance to win it. And they haven't developed the last hitter. They probably developed that came through the farm system that they drafted and developed was probably Jonathan Lucroy. Yeah, probably. Like probably. it's been a while. Yeah. So yeah, I just, the Brewers, I, they, you know what, though? I, I would love to see Yelich. Uh, I keep bringing his name up. Council manage, I mean, a talented team. Can you, I swear, if he'd, he had been managing the Dodgers the last three, four years, the Dodgers would be in a dynasty right now. You know, that's, I, I that's how highly I think of Council. I mean, you give him that kind of talent, my goodness. You know? I agree. I mean, I think you can always kind of nitpick a manager and go back and say, what if? on certain calls, but overall he does a great job. Players love playing for him. Former player who understands the game, understands the analytics too. So he gets along with those front office guys too. So like for what he's been able to do as a Brewers manager has been remarkable. And they were close to winning a world series or at least getting to one a few years back. And I think if they would have surrounded and put talent in that lineup, who knows what would have happened with him as manager. Yeah, you know what I would suggest to Antonio is he goes out and gets two billionaire owners to join. <laughs> you know, similar to what the Bucks did. I, I give yeah. the Bucks a ton of credit that they have three billionaire owners, and their payroll is you know probably in the top five in the NBA. I mean, it's ridiculous. Small market Milwaukee, you know, competing with the big boys, but they can do that because they got deep pockets. I mean, really deep pockets. You know, if they lose a couple million, hey, you know, that's part of the game. But you know what? They'll recoup it when they sell the franchise quite easily. So uh, if I was a Brewer fan, I'd say, hey, let's let's get a couple more owners into this uh, mix here and, and start spending and try to bring in, you know, one or two really good players and, and, and go from there. Well, and it's not like Mark Antonasu doesn't have more money to spend on this team. He bought that soccer team overseas. He's got money to spend. Yeah. And I would have thought too, after he saw another team in the same city, he owns a professional sports team in the Bucks, won a championship and see how much money that generated for that franchise, that it would have maybe encouraged him to kind of put some more money in this team and try to win a world series because they're winning a world series. A, the stadium's going to be full, which it's not usually right now. Mm-hmm. And merchandise sales, all of that are going to go through the roof. So, like, plus the value of his team has only skyrocketed since he bought it. Like, to me, it just doesn't make sense not to invest in this team. He's looking at it in the short term rather than the long term financial gains. And I think that's been a mistake. And it's going to make that 2030 deadline real interesting to watch here over the next few years. It really is. You know what? And if the Brewers have success, I think the general public is going to get behind them, you know? But if they, they right. go into a funk where they become a bad team, I don't know. <laughs> I have some doubts about it if, if people want to, you know, pay that kind of money. Oh, right now, if I had to make a prediction, I think they're moving when it comes to that lease being up in 2030. But we'll see. I think – Wow, we could so. we could spend another half hour talking <laughs> about that pot. <laughs> yeah, that that's way out there. A lot of things can happen between. <laughs> I, but early on, I I think I think fans who don't think that's a possibility are 
not looking deeper at it. I just think there's a better percentage or odds of them moving than I think people realize. I don't know if Mark Antanasio being the head of the relocation committee for the Oakland athletics has anything to do with it, but mm-hmm. other signs of him not investing in the team, them not investing really in the ballpark. I mean, I know they've made some minor upgrades, redoing yeah, the yeah. scoreboard or concession stands, but they want a new ballpark. To me, what's wrong with this ballpark? Why not put some money into it? Like, oh, I don't know. It, I just, it's a great park. Making... That, that's funny that you said that, Dan, because last night uh, I was at the uh, Brewers-Cubs game, and I was surrounded by Cubs fans, and every one of them marveled what yeah. a great stadium it was, you know? So, no, that 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 stadium's here for a long time. And uh, it's like Lambeau Field. Look what they did with Lambeau Field. I mean, everybody wanted or thought they should build a new stadium years ago. And then Packer management had the good sense, uh, Bob Harlan in particular, to say, hey, let's go and renovate this great place and look what kind of stadium they have now. I mean, arguably the best in the NFL. Exactly. Yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see how the tax dollars all play out and whatever when it comes to either renovations or building a new ballpark. But um, it'll be interesting. couple probably – next five years to see what happens there well dan you've never been called this but you're the man <laughs> thanks Jerry. have you ever heard that before <laughs> only a Pretty few original, times huh? <laughs> yeah yeah so anyways hey i uh, truly appreciate you uh stopping by with your thoughts and your observations uh on the upcoming draft and and the milwaukee brewers and i also want to thank uh all our fans for listening so take care and all the best For more sports news, check back every Tuesday for our latest show. You can also follow Gary on Twitter at GaryWuffle and WuffleSpressBox.com.